come save us from YouTube and Twitter and Google and Facebook. Oh, please come save us, daddy government. Wait, 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 no, not like that. Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. In a previous interview entitled The Social Media Regulation PSYOP, James Corbett and I discussed the orchestrated suppression and censorship of independent voices online, the reaction we all saw that followed, and the potentially pre-planned government solution to this manufactured problem. And if correct, what that would mean for the future of social media, independent news, and just freedom of speech and press in general. Well, in recent weeks, we've seen massive purges on social media, initiation of antitrust investigations, efforts to break up big tech companies, and of course, interestingly timed massive internet outages. So what's really going on here and what's about to happen? Just as before, there's no one better, in my opinion, to have on to discuss these developments than James Corbett. Thank you so much for joining me today, James. Well, thank you so much for having me to talk about this exceptionally important subject, not just for you and me as producers online, but I think for everyone who likes to consume this type of content online, this impinges on all of us and our freedom and ability to uh, to imbibe this information. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I, I don't actually don't think people recognize how truly important this is to everyone, even the people that think that they're using this against their adversaries today. As we know, it'll flip-flop back and forth and be taken out on anyone speaking against the establishment narrative, which has also changes over time. But so we, we discussed in the last uh, interview called the Social Media Regulation PSYOP. And in that, in that interview, the focal point was about whether or not this was all the plan, essentially, and whether or not some of those involved were part of that plan. At the time, that was the Alex Jones of the discussion therein. So after seeing all this play out a little, after however many months it was since we had that interview, what are your thoughts on this today? Are we in the midst of an agenda designed to suppress critical thought under a guise of protection, or are we in more danger than ever in need of government protection? What are your thoughts? Well, you can imagine I'm not going to go with the latter option. I believe the former option. I believe that this is part of a wider agenda. And... Again, like so many other things, it doesn't even matter if this was planned out piece by piece exactly in this way, but of course the powers that shouldn't be in charge of the levers of power can use any such incident like this to steer things in the direction that they want. What direction is that greater control over the internet as we know it? But breaking up the big tech giants will be the exact opposite of that, won't it? Uh, is such a lazy and uh, intellectually vacuous way of looking at this. And let me demonstrate that by pointing this out in the context of an event that we, I'm sure, all saw recently play out. You might have seen me cover it on the last edition of New World Next Week with James Evan Pilato, where we talked about the Vox adpocalypse, which, of course, is all stemming from this Twitter drama nonsense between Carlos Maza, I believe. I don't even know his name of Vox and Steven Crowder and their back and forth. And... This culminated, of course, in YouTube is going to review Steven Crowder's channel and, oh, we've decided we, we can't monetize because of this t-shirt or whatever it is, all of this nonsense. Now, of course, what this resulted in was the so-called hashtag VoxAdpocalypse, where suddenly overnight another slew of channels get demonetized, some of them outright banned. Um, one of the ones affected by this uh, was Ford Fisher's channel, which I can't remember if it's news 
to share, I believe, is the channel. Anyway, people can look that up. Ford Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R, was one of the people affected by this. And he's saying, quite reasonably, I I all I do is provide documentary footage of things that are happening, which might include white supremacists uh, espousing their philosophy and uh, Antifa attacking them and whatever else. It's just footage that is used in literally Emmy and uh, Oscar-winning documentary films. Uh, I put it out there to the public for free, and they're demonetizing my channel because it contains things that go against the vaguely defined community policies. Or as you yourself, I believe, are finding out, even things that aren't against the community policies, but, you know, for other reasons. So it, people might not want to, to, to see this, so we're going to age-restrict it, uh, as you and I are both experiencing at this point. So as a result of that, Ford Fisher gets uh, demonetized, and he's saying, what is happening here? Now, the funny thing, the humorous part of this that we all point to and laugh at the stupidity of it is Carlos Mazza, the guy who initiated this with his pestering YouTube about this evil Steven Crowder, well, he's now he's saying, wait, what? why are you guys going after Ford Fisher? This is insanity. This isn't what I wanted. Newsflash, when you are calling for censorship of other people's viewpoints, it is not going to go the way you want it to go because you are not in charge of this. Come save me, YouTube. Come save me from this evil hate speech. Hey, wait, that isn't hate speech. Wait, no, wait, too far. No, you played the game. You get to suffer the consequences of that game in the exact same way with this regulation trap. Come save us from YouTube and Twitter and Google and Facebook. Oh, please come save us, daddy government. Wait, 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 no, not like that. That is exactly how this is going to play out because it is, the, as I say, the laziest thing you can do in the face of a problem that we all understand and acknowledge is a problem. The silencing of voices due to political wrong think online is a glaring major problem. But if your solution to that simply says, crying out for daddy government, please come save me, what does that mean? In nuts and bolts, in brass tacks, what do you actually mean by that? What government agency is going to come after this? Or are they going to appoint some kind of independent board? Who is going to populate that board? Who gets to choose who is on that board? Who gets oversight over the decisions that are made on those committees? And what input do you have you in particular the person calling for this solution what input do you have in any of this process the answer of course is none so what is the actual result that we're starting to see the beginnings of right now the opening of an investigation the ftc is going to be looking after amazon and i believe one one other and then the doj is going to be looking after google and twitter and whatever else so these are the bodies that are suddenly going to be put in charge of regulating these companies and making sure they play by the government's rules, the DOJ's rules, the same Department of Justice that has presided over the cover-up of 9-11 and whatever else over the preceding decades, is suddenly the very same people who would be pointing that out in another context are now crying out for the Department of Justice to save them from these companies. It is moronic, imbecilic thinking on its face. But this is the, the corner that we get steered into. Problem reaction, solution. Hey, here's the solution, guys. Just look in this direction. Just cry out for daddy government and you're going to get it. Trust me, you're going to get it.
Yeah, it's so sad that people can't see by now that this is the way this works, right? They, they fear monger, they get you worked up and emotionally reactive, and then they use that to drive forward with this agenda so people don't know where to look. It's, it's quite frustrating, as I think you recently pointed out, that how many times this has to keep happening over and over before people wake up to it. There was also another channel, uh, I believe the man's name was Alsop, who got swept up in the censorship, who had a, ch- it was a, t- a channel for teachers. On, you know, it's, it's unbelievable, and I think what it shows us is, I, you know, as, I, as I've heard you say as well, I get tired of using the word, or, word Orwellian, but I've never seen a better example than today literally rewriting history in real time. And that's such a crazy thing that it's not like you said about uh, Fisher's channel. It's not about that this is, it's just, it's, it's, there's no political spin to it. It's, it's information-based as if these people no longer exist because it's not, you know, it's not good for my sensibilities, right? It's, it's an alarming thing to see that this is where it's going and that people need to wake up to see that. But, but of this, course, I know this but, is affecting your work directly, given the types of topics you cover. And of course, it is affecting my work directly, which is why parts two and three of the World War I conspiracy, literally a documentary about World War I, that isn't, I mean, it, it, it's just information. It's just a narrator talking over footage and images has been age restricted on YouTube. So you now have to sign in and it won't obviously be recommended to you and all of that rigmarole that comes along with that. And of course, that's just the beginning, the thin edge of the wedge of this, but that is what we are staring at in the face. Literally just conveying information about historical events is now wrong think, unless, of course, you're one of the, you know, verified YouTube uh, trusted partners that's uh, SPLC and and otherwise given an imprimatur of reasonable discourse, like, oh, the History Channel maybe can get away with it, but the Corbett Report, no, age restricted. <laughs> yeah, I, I I do think a lot of it, and one of the one of the theories that I have is this is kind of just this blanket they throw over a lot of issues, right? We get hate speech, and we've got the LG, L, you know, I mean, there's so many different things they're lumping into this that no one even really knows what they're getting censored for anymore, right? So, and then what they can do is, you know, hone down on people like us and censor us because we're telling the truth, and then everyone just goes, well, they must have done something wrong, hate speech or something, you know. I think that's what this is kind of all about is this kind of thing they throw over the top, and as you mentioned. I had the same issue with a Yemen video where it was me talking about what happened. No vulgar, no profanity, no vulgar picture or no bad pictures. It's just me telling what happened and that got Adrian Shicken as well. You know, and it's, it's very clear that this is an agenda at the very least partially about suppressing critical thought. But in regard to this antitrust investigation, because here's what's interesting about this for me is that this is what a lot of people we're going to think, oh, good, right? Oh, here we go. This is, they're coming in, stepping in to save us, like you said, against the problem that they created ultimately. So do you, do you think that this could in any way, shape or form, like what are the possible ramifications from this? Could we see this go in a possible way? And or do you definitely think this is like the solution part of the problem reaction solution here? There, there is going to be some sacrificial lamb element for this, uh, just for the purging of the psyche of the populace to get most people on board with this. There's going to be some sort of action that the public will be able to look at and say, look, those those big tech billionaires are getting it. They're sticking it to the man and yay. So the, I, I'm sure that the end result of this will be something, something tangible that the public can grasp onto. But it is the creation of whatever entity or entities are going to be presiding over the system that is then put in place to regulate these companies is going to be the devil that will reside in these details. And that's the part that's boring and bureaucratic and you have to actually read government documents and things and no one's going to do that, whatever. All I know is, you know, Facebook got broken up or whatever it is. Meanwhile, 
Um, we can look to historical precedent for this, like the splitting up of Standard Oil into the Seven Sisters. Yay, they're sticking it to the man. Look, Standard Oil, the big octopus has been broken up into seven different companies, which Rockefeller still has controlling interests over. And oh yeah, this actually made him much wealthier overnight by the splitting up of these companies into separate companies. It actually made him wealthier. But uh, you know, that's just a little asterisk, right? Because the public got its sacrificial lamb moment. So I have no doubt that there will be something to sort of alleviate the, the, the conscience of people who are who are wrestling with this, and, and there will be something that people can point to as some end result of this. I also have no doubt that the big tech billionaires will continue to be big tech billionaires and will continue to preside over vast empires in Silicon Valley at, as the end result of this. Um, but I think one thing that, that points out the, the stupidity of this entire process, as I pointed out before, uh, people don't uh, just think that calling for government regulation of some sort is the solution without having any recourse to what is actually going to happen um, as a result of this in terms of the actual bodies that will be created and legislation and all of this. And, uh, and, and there was another point that I was about to make that has just eluded my grasp. So <laughs> while I recover that, that fumble, uh, you can take over. Yeah, no, I, I, the, what, I, what I'm thinking about is something that I've seen you point out. And by the way, I got to remember to include your documentaries about why Big Oil conquered the world because you make that point, in, like as you said, in your documentary. And I hadn't thought about that obvious, interesting connection there to the breaking up of the oil company to exactly the kind of same thing we're looking at here. That the point that we should obviously make is that you know, we've seen the issues up until now, with, which, I have con which I think anyone paying attention can see that government involvement is the very obvious reason this problem is there. So only more of their involvement. Go ahead. You guys think you're the Sorry, same point. I, yeah. it, came to me, it came back to me. And now I have to make the point before I forget again. <laughs> the point I was about to make is you can see the stupidity of this in the very in the very analogy that we all apply to this situation or that is the common go-to uh, card that people who want government regulation will go to. Well, back in the day, you know, you need the First Amendment to protect the public square. Well, now Twitter and Facebook and, and Snapchat, whatever, Instagram, this is the public square. So we have to have the government come in and regulate it and make sure everyone abides by the First Amendment or free speech or whatever vague ideal that you have that you think will be applied in this case that will not. Yeah, the government's going to come in and say, yes, Alex Jones, here's your channel, and Stephen Crowder, here's your channel, and you guys can all... <laughs> and that's not how it's going to work. But even if it did, the analogy that people use, it's the public square, it's the new public square, which in and it's... I mean, just it deconstructs itself, that analogy, because what are you saying? What about the actual physical public square in the center of town where you go in on your soapbox and you preach to the crowds in the corner. That doesn't exist anymore, or if it does, I mean, there's a couple of crazy people in the park, but no one listens and no one cares. No one congregates there. That isn't where discourse happens anymore because it has changed. There was no law that came in to say you can't congregate in the park and you can't have a public square and you can't debate things in public like that anymore. No, why would there be needs for that? Everyone migrated to new platforms as they arose, right? It's almost as if you had some kind of law that you could only have discourse in this public square, in this geographical location. That would be a huge infringement on our natural rights to express ourselves because that doesn't correspond to our reality in 2019. Now people are moving to online platforms and other things to congregate and to discuss political issues. So now people want the government to come in and cement 
Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and whatever, you know, whatever bodies they investigate will be the ones that are cemented as the public square forever and always. And now we have to engage in public discourse there. I don't want to engage in public discourse in Twitter. You can't make me. So why, why on earth should that be the standard that we're holding this to? It's the new public square. Therefore, everyone has to be given a platform on these controlled platforms that we know are in bed with government agencies. It's stupid on its face. And I can't, I understand why a lot of the normie set would go along with just the regular narratives here, but it boggles my mind that people in the erstwhile alternative media who know a thing or two about history and about the deeper politics that are behind this and the deep state and the existence of something like the deep state, not that phony, you know, QAnon right-wing uh, concept that the deep state is the FBI or whatever. No, I mean the real deep state and the real politics that go on that we're suddenly going to entrust these entities, these this octopus with stewarding over and cementing into place these platforms that we know are controlled. It's, it's, it's absolutely inexplicable to me. I would love to hear someone actually make the argument for that. You know, it's interesting. It's just, it's the same, it's the same kind of dynamic as we see in the, in a false two party dichotomy. We have the Democrats screaming about how Trump's going to end the world, but then simultaneously back all of his wars overseas. I mean, it's these people that are, that you're, we're talking about, will largely point and, and recognize that some of these problems are coming from the government, but then at the same time call for that same government to step in and fix the problem. And that's what, it's just, it's counterintuitive. It doesn't make any sense. And this is what, what I was kind of saying a second ago is this is, why do people think that logically when we can see that the problems arise mostly because of government involvement in these platforms, that giving them more control is going to take away that problem, which is the same kind of same point you're making. It just, it does not make any sense. And in the person, point- person getting censored on YouTube, the government is populated by literal ch- child pedophile ring psychopaths who have no problem murdering their own citizens to forward their geopolitical agenda. And it's totally corrupt also censored person on YouTube, but we need the government to, t- to help us get this platform on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it, what's crazy though is we've seen how this has played out, right? Up until now, without their explicit involvement, even though they're already involved, we've seen it play out. We've seen people getting censored, getting centered, censored for telling the truth, for speaking out, right? I mean, somebody you just had on your show, it was yesterday or today, Carrie Wedler is a perfect example of that the last person I would have ever expected to get censored, right? But I think that's why she got censored. But this is the result of what they're already doing. So why giving them them more power is only going to extrapolate that same issue. And I think that's what's so important. By the way, that was a fantastic point. Because this goes back to the disconnect that I think has been engineered and programmed into us between our actual power in this system and then the power that they want us to have, which is essentially nothing, or not not quite nothing. They want us to have the power to be able to put our lives online and in view and of the intelligence agencies so that they can data mine us and, and sell our da- data back and forth and make sure that we're controlled in that sense. But they don't want us to actually have control over the information ourselves. Um, and and that, that disconnect has been engineered, in I think, in every layer of society. The, po- the political puppet show is just one example of that. No, your power in this system is to pull a lever once every four years, and that's what you have to focus all your attention and all your energy on. It's only about fighting over who's going to pull what lever for whom. And that's, that's your entire... I mean, it's making politics, which is really just living in the world and, and interacting with other people into a spectator sport. You are a spectator. You watch what happens. You might be able to fight over 
who you think should be in the position of power to get to dictate to others what will happen, but that's your, that's your whole contribution to the system. And so extrapolate that into the online realm. Your whole contribution to the system is trying to fight over, you know, oh no, I think Team Blue should be in charge of the lever that gets to censor people, or no, I think Team Red should be in charge of that lever. Whereas our actual power, the, the point that gets forgotten about this is that we literally made these platforms into what they are. It is public participation, which at least in the beginning, I think was motivated simply by people's interest and people's actual inclination and urge to use this. There may be some sort of network effect now where people kind of have to go on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is to promote their business because that's just the way business is done. But at least in the beginning, these platforms were built up by people who were joining out of their own uh, interest and their own looking for that alternative to the public square. It was us we made these platforms. YouTube actually was about you in the beginning before it got taken over by the evil empire. It was not always Google. There was a time before Google. And that's, that's what made these pro platforms massively popular and gave them the energy that they used to, of course, in the familiar judo move, to take your energy and turn it against you. So now you are participating in your own censorship, essentially, because, well, I don't want to be on YouTube, but everyone's on YouTube, so I got to be on YouTube. This is the way this game works. So what, what is the real solution to this? Once again, it is for us to express our will and to shape a, a new platform, to venture into new ways of looking at this. And now I think this is the more important game for all the marbles because now we really do have decentralized and peer-to-peer -peer technologies that did not exist a decade ago, a decade and a half ago when these platforms were first forming. There wasn't really anything like it. We had, um, uh, uh, not BitTorrent, we Napster-like type of things, but that was very niche and very, but now we have entire platforms, entire decentralized platforms, and new ones coming on every day. Every day I'm receiving emails. Have you looked into this one? Have you looked into this one? Have you looked into this one? I haven't even heard of it yet. Excellent, great, the more ideas the better. But it is time for people to actually start using these ideas. And now that it's starting to affect people, you do see people turning to these, the Jordan Petersons and the PewDiePies and people with massive audiences are starting to look at different alternatives, which is good. And that's, that's the real solution here. If there is any solution, it is going to come from us taking our time, our attention, our energy, our data, our everything, and moving it in different directions. That is our power, not sitting there like a spectator and waiting for some government agency to come along and make the platforms that exist into what we want them to be, as if that's even going to be possible, let alone, I mean, it, just the fact that these are centralized and controlled platforms is exactly what we don't want. There are decentralized alternatives that already exist. It's a no-brainer to me in what direction we should be moving with our power. The only impediment is people's block in their brain making them think that I'm only a spectator and I just have to go along with whatever the prevailing norm is because what else am I going to do? Yeah, so true. So true. And I, I think as we can all see, it's about the control, the flow of information. And I think that's the when they can have a choke point like these YouTubes and Facebooks and Twitter the ideas that they can, as you know, control the information and how it goes out and to what degree it reaches people. So how, if, if and when, and we always are all saying this, and I don't think I know of any independent media person that's not in some way advocating for alternative platforms. People just need to make that leap. Right, we talked about on that other interview. Right? Don't necessarily delete everything, just start using everything at the same time. 
branch out, open up this possibility because they need to control the flow of information and that scares them a lot today. And I, this is why I always point out the reason they're coming over the top so aggressively is because we're actually reaching people. We're actually making a difference to a certain degree and they cannot have that. And, and this actually brings up the, the, uh, one of the last things I want to talk about today is the potential for them to actually go back and change things in real time, like the idea of, say, a deep fake which I know you're familiar with. They're named for the deep learning artificial intelligence algorithms that make them possible. Input real audio or video of a specific person, the more the better, and the software tries to recognize patterns in speech and movement. And that's a very relevant topic for today with all the censorship, knowing that we just talked about before we went live, Zuckerberg literally just got deep faked today. Imagine this for a second. One man with total control of billions of people's stolen data all their secrets, their lives, their futures. I owe it all to Spectre. Spectre showed me that whoever controls the data controls the future. Tying in with that, the suspiciously timed outage of the internet and all these platforms across the internet, what are your thoughts on that and how this may play into this effort to control information? Are they, do you think they're going in and rewriting history in real time right now? You know, it's something that I, I know consciously, but has really been hitting home again as I've been doing some more research related to Silicon Valley and big tech and all of that um, recently, is just how thoroughly, how almost completely these new technologies have been governed from the very beginning by military and intelligence. These technologies did not come from Mount Olympus. They were not handed down from the gods or something. They came from military and intelligence backgrounds and were bestowed on the public. And I think we, we suffer from a lack of, I won't even say lack of imagination, lack of understanding of how deep these types of intelligence operations go and how thoroughly they pervade the entire space. And that obviously, when we are looking at these technologies, these deep fakes and others, which we know is actually just the commercially available version of this technology. And again, for anyone who's done any research into technology and DARPA and Pentagon, you know, they are decades ahead in terms of any of this technology. Things that we're just starting to think about now, they were literally talking about 50 years ago. That just hit home for me again yesterday as I was researching Shaky the Robot, which was developed by the Artificial Intelligence Center at Stanford University, of course. Uh, sorry, Stanford Research Institute. No longer affiliated with Stanford University, but obviously part of the, the uh, big tech surveillance uh, Silicon Valley nexus. Back in the 1960s, they were designing Shaky the Robot, the first robot that could sense and read and, and react to information in its environment. And I was looking at the, uh, the sort of promo film that they made about it at the time, literal film. Um, and uh, they were doing, uh, it struck home because I remember seeing the, uh, the, what was that company that was bought out by Google um, that was making the big dog uh, uh, robot Anyway, uh, we've all seen that, I'm sure, in the last few years with the, the they're testing these, these uh, robots and one, a guy has a hockey stick and he's banging things, trying to bang the robot to get him to fall over, or banging things out of his hands. It was literally that exact same scenario was being played out 50 plus years ago at Stanford Research Institute. And there's the film and it, it looks, it's, it's the same idea. And I'm sitting there watching this thinking, we are now getting the, this commercially and sort of in, in your face publicly 
it, they were doing it 50 years ago under ARPA at that time, Advanced Research Projects Agency funded programs at the Stanford Research Institute that people on the inside knew about, but we obviously didn't really have any access to that in the general public. And now we're getting it. So imagine the deep fake technology 50 years advanced that the DARPA is playing with in the, in the bottom of the Pentagon. We really have reached the point where you cannot trust anything that you are not seeing with yourself, with your own eyes. And that is, that is the scariest situation. Because one thing that the last couple of decades of online activism and spreading of information has done is to pull the plug on the system as it existed, the system of stability and here's information and you know you can only drink from this straw and you, you will understand the world through this lens. For all of the terrible sort of tyrannical implications of that, it at least provided a stable worldview that shared among the public so people could at least understand and interact with each other. That cork has been pulled out of the bottle. The genie is out. And we now know, we're now beginning to sense how much we cannot trust any information. Certainly not at face value. You have to verify and from several different angles to try to get a handle on any information whatsoever. That's magnified by orders of magnitude with technologies like deepfakes that are truly making it so that literally anything you see or hear online could be completely fake. And it's certainly and commercially, it's getting to the point where you can't tell the difference. I was looking at that Zuckerberg and it was exceptionally convincing. Um, but as I say, for a few decades uh, ahead in terms of the technology that the Pentagon's working with, who knows? So uh, I don't know what the answer to that is because that truly is the uncorking of the bottle and it's Pandora's box. It's utter pandemonium on the other side when we literally can't trust anything other than unplugging altogether, which unfortunately is not a, uh, an option that most people are even willing to consider. Um, but it's, I don't know, moving ahead. That I don't know what other alternative or recourse we'll have. Of course, there will tech be technologies that will be developed that will sign and watermark and verify this particular video, blah, blah, blah. But we'll know there will be backdoors for the intelligence agencies to play with such technology anyway. So again, it brings us back to square one. What can we trust? And increasingly, increasingly nothing. Then you bring up a very interesting point about the, the time. I've often thought about this, that when we see something introduced to us, particularly from the government, we should immediately tell ourselves, oh, they've, this has probably been around for 30 years and they've been using it secretly and we're finally just now getting to see it. It's kind of the same joke about like at geoengineering where they come out and say, oh, we have this new thing we're going to start doing today. And it's like, oh yeah, now and 50 years ago as well, right? It's just like they, when they introduce it to us, we need to be skeptical. And I think that we should have been questioning and skeptical of everything they've done always. Like we shouldn't, and now it's just making it even harder to be able to tell. But this is such an alarming thing for us to see that we have to recognize all the things we're constantly pointing out, the governments, the crimes being committed, that these are the very same people potentially in, in, in possession of this potential power to go back and rewrite events, to change things, to change our perception of things that we can't even tell. And, and on your note of, of countering that, as far as my research has shown, is the, the latest thing that I've seen, it was actually a documentary about the person, his entire job was to kind of fight against this. He's openly saying that it's a moot point, that by the time he gets to the where he can effectively battle the thing he's fighting against, there are four videos ahead, right? And this is from like the guy that's supposed to do it. So it's like, I, I think in my opinion that they are intentionally not letting this kind of rush out. They don't want us to be too afraid of it because if it's going to get to a point to where we can no longer tell the difference. And I think we're already there. What do you think? On the other <laughs> hand, if the uh, agenda is chaos or order out of chaos, 
this is the ultimate chaos machine because this truly, as I say, this is the pulling of the plug. This is the uncorking of the bottle. There's, there's really no going back after that point. Once people really start to sink in that all of this information could be manipulated, everything you see or hear could be manipulated. Um, there will be the people who will just say, okay, well, what we need is a verification agency. The government will come and save us and there will be some sort of news verification thing that the government will put its stamp of approval on and maybe that'll work for at least a good proportion of the normie class. But anyone who has a brain, uh, two brain cells to rub together will know that now, okay, now everything is completely manipulated. And that's, as I say, that's the uncorking of the bonds of all, everything that can hold a society together. We need to have some sort of shared understanding of just basic information uh, in order to form our, our opinions about that and to have intelligible discussions. So if, if the agenda is complete chaos, well, it's almost here. Yeah. And, and we're already good because we have NewsGuard and as Whitney Webb wrote about, we've got the trust project. It's all set up for us, right? It's already, we're already there. I mean, how long until we get a video about the president doing something and, and it could have been real and he'll claim it's a deep fake or vice versa, right? I mean, we're in a time now where it is truly Orwellian as that word has never been more overused, but never been more accurate. So true. Thank you so much for joining me today, James. Is there anything else you'd like to add on this topic? I mean, we could probably do three more videos after this on all this information. So anything else you want to yeah, add maybe, before you go? Maybe we should. And <laughs> yeah. I will continue to address these, uh, these points. But I guess the fundamental point on the positive side, as I always come back to, is that this is not a spectator sport, that you do have power, that you do have a part to play in this. And your part to play is not simply to beg for daddy government to come in with solutions. It is to actually be the change. I know it is a cliche, but it is truly true. If we do not enact the change we want to see, it will not happen. So uh, it is not a spectator sport. You are not on the sidelines. Even if you're not a creator, even if you're just imbibing this content, even if you're just listening, you still have a part to play with this, even in just where you turn your attention. Are you going to turn it to the controlled platforms or are you going to seek out and try the alternative platforms or create your own? There are coders out there that are listening to this conversation that can have a part to play with this. And I know, because as I keep pointing out, Ray Vahey of BitChute lists in the BitChute about uh, that the Corbett Report and James and Pilato Media Monarchy were important voices in prompting him to, to start BitChute. Well, that's great. There, and there are more people out there. If you don't like BitChute or what it's doing, then make your own. That is also a possibility here. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. We need to actually start doing something. And, and, and this is the problem is that and I, you know, you and I will probably have to connect again for a vote no on 2020 issue as we get to, for, to the election. But there are so many other ways you can take action in your life. The one I always talk about is just simply vote with your dollar. The only vote that I think really matters today. So get out there and take action, as James said. Do something. Just start waking people up every way you can. Thank you again for joining me, James. And as always, everyone out there, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.
Thank <laughs> you.